If you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 15. We're taking a break from the book of Acts for today. Uh, this is a, a word that uh, Trent and I have been talking about sharing with our church. And uh, we're going to start by telling you three stories. It's a, it's a passage of Scripture where Jesus tells three stories, so I felt like maybe I should tell three stories, and we can see whose stories are better, all right? Spoiler alert, his are going to be better, but just bear with me. Uh, so have you ever been in that situation where uh, you're like ready to leave the house, right? And maybe, uh, maybe you've like loaded everything up and you're ready to leave the house and you get to the door and you're like, where are the keys? This happens to me on a regular basis with my wife because she likes to just leave stuff wherever she feels like it. I think sometimes she walks in and just throws the keys over her shoulder and there's like, all right, well, that'll be fun later. So we, where's the keys? And then if you're like me, uh, you're like, okay, you'll look for a couple minutes, right? Look at all the spots that she may have left the keys or I may have left the keys, but let's be honest. Um, and then eventually you're just like, whatever, let's just get the spare and we'll, we'll find those later, right? So we look, but there's not a sense of urgency in the looking because we know that there's a spare, Right? Or maybe you've uh, experienced this moment in your life uh, where you lost something uh, that, that is a little bit less easily replaced. Uh, where's my phone? And for those of you that uh, have experienced this uh, extension of your hand that uh, is called uh, a mobile phone that now has the internet and everything, it's hard for some of us to even imagine, especially the younger people, to imagine how to live life without their phone. How am I going to get to the place that I'm going because my phone is going to tell me the directions, right? I don't remember anyone's phone numbers because there's contacts in my phone, right? I can't even remember how to do addition and subtraction because I have a calculator on my phone. And so where's my phone? It's a little bit more urgent, right? You're like, okay, we can't leave the house without my phone because I don't know what's going to happen, right? And so you, you, you look around the house a little bit more urgently. You flip the cushions over, right? You, you begin to track it, and then you look at your spouse or your friend. You're like, can you call my phone? I know it's on silent, but whatever. Just call it anyways. Maybe it's not. And so you finally find your phone, and yeah, you're excited about that, right? So so the first one, where are my keys at? There's a little bit of uh, urgency in that, but it's not a panic fear, right? And, and while you're looking for it, it's, it's, you have in the back of your mind, there's an out, right? And when you begin to look for your phone, uh, it's a little bit more urgent. But this morning, my lovely daughter, uh, which I know that all of you guys uh, get to see how cute and precious she is, she's not always cute and precious. She is always cute and precious, but sometimes she acts like a little baby that uh, tests your patience, right? And uh, she woke up extremely early this morning, and so she got to go with dad to, to church early today so mom could sleep a little bit because, you know, I'm going to be gone next week, and so I have to pick up my slack while I'm here. And so uh, she was in the hallway, and one of the coolest things that's happened this week because all the Pine Cove people have been around, she started walking like really, really well, walking around. So I left her in the hallway because I needed to go into my office to grab something for today. And I grabbed it, it did one thing, it took me about a minute, right? And I walked back out, there's no one else in the building, right? Like, it's just us two. 
where's Rowan? And so that, that's a little bit different of a, of a situation, right? Because you had the first one like, Rowan, where are you? Nothing. So the next one is a panic. Rowan, where are you at? Rowan, come here right now. And so I began to look all over the place. And uh, I looked at, you know, I'm like, okay, I didn't hear a door open. What's going on? And so I looked and, 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 and maybe because God knows I couldn't deal with any more stress this morning. I walk into our youth room and I look around and I look and I do not see her at all. And then I hear her giggling. And she's playing foosball. How, I don't even know who taught her how to play foosball, but she's like reaching the little handles and she's moving and she is so proud of herself. She's like, hi. And I'm just like, you, I thought losing a kid, like misplacing a kid is, there's that, I've seen the parents do it and I've experienced like being on the hunt when you cannot find your kid, there is no stone that you will not flip over. There's no wall you won't kick down, right? There's nothing that will come in your way to find where your kid is. And you will scream and you will look like a crazy person because that child is valuable to you. No matter if they've been a terror this morning or not, right? That doesn't matter. Finding your kid is what is most important. And Jesus tells us three stories of people losing things uh, today in Luke 15. And I want us to open up and, and, uh, and, and read just a little bit. Uh, actually, I want us to open up and set up the story as to why he's telling these three stories. And so in Luke 15, verse 1, he says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So then he told them this parable. And let's stop right there. Let me set up the scene for us. Right? If you know anything about the New Testament, um, the, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the story of Jesus and his ministry. Right? And uh, there are themes in his ministry, just like we have themes in our own life. One of the themes in his ministry is he is constantly frustrating the religious people of the day, right? The scribes and the Pharisees are the people who go to church every Sunday and who uh, try to live uh, very good moral lives, and they've set up laws to make sure that they can uphold the things that the Bible have told them. And they've even extrapolated things from the Bible saying, well, if the Bible says this, uh, if the Old Testament says this, then maybe we should probably implement these other things so that we don't get to that point, right? And so they... they uh, value following these rules so that they can uphold God's law extremely, really, it's really high. And then Jesus is constantly interacting with the people that they wouldn't have a time, they don't give the time of day, right? All these people that are on the margins, all these people that are uh, left out of society, uh, and, he, and the Bible calls them often the tax collectors and sinners. These are the bad people, if you will. Uh, the people that, I mean, I would hope that we wouldn't act like this, but the people that walk in the church and people kind of turn around and say, oh, I wonder what they're doing here. Um, and, and so Jesus hears these religious people, because I know religious people never grumble about change. He hears these religious people getting frustrated with him. 
and, and he, he looks at them and he tells them these three stories. And these three stories are stories that if you've been in church uh, any length of time, you've probably heard these three stories. And even if you haven't been in church, you've definitely heard the last one. He tells the story of, um, uh, of a shepherd losing a sheep. He tells a story of a woman losing a coin. And then he tells a story of a, a father losing a son. And the, and the concept that weaves all of these together is the one is, is valuable, the one matters, and the one should be celebrated. There is, there, God has placed people in our lives. Every single one of us, He's placed people in our lives for a purpose. And as we interact with these people, our job is not to bring salvation to them because that is nothing that we can do. It's only God that can bring salvation to the one, right? It's only God that can bring people from the darkness into the light. It's only God that can take a calloused heart and, and, and make it soft and receptible to him. It's only God that does this. But he allows us to go on these journeys of finding the one alongside of him. And that's why he tells us these stories. And for our students this summer, we have challenged them to kind of take this idea of the one and let this be the theme of our summer, that God um, has placed someone in your life so that you might be able to reach out to them. And so let's look at what that really looks like. So the first story he tells us, is the story of the lost sheep. And those of you uh, may be familiar with it, but let's just look at verse four really quickly. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. What I want you to know this morning is this, is that God values each and every one of his Imago Dei, right? This is this phrase that means that we are created in the image of God, Right, God created everything and he said it was good. And then he created man and he put man um, in Genesis chapter 1. He put man over all of his creation. He said, in the image of God, you are created. He, put, uh, he, he took special time when he created man. We were created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And he values each and every one of his Imago Dei. But here's the deal. The world, the world says the majority rules. Whatever is best for the most people is best. And if there's people that get left behind, then so be it. Uh, it's, you know, it's, this is part of the way we make our civilization stronger. But Jesus doesn't play by the world's rules, does he? There, there are, there's safety in numbers. There's definitely a sense of safety when you can go with the masses, right? When, when you're around the masses, there's safety in those masses. But the kingdom of God doesn't care about what is safe. The kingdom of God cares about what is right. And if that means leaving the majority to go after the one in open country then so be it because that one was created in the image of God and has value. 
And so he doesn't hesitate at all to say, hey, we should be going after those who've walked away. We should be going after those who are wandering around, not knowing where to go. That should be something that we don't even have to think about, that we naturally do because they matter. They have value because they're created in the image of God. Then he says uh, that, that he brings, um, once he finds uh, the sheep, he brings it home and he rejoices and he calls together all his friends and he tells them, uh, let's have this party. And Jesus says, there's more joy than that in heaven when one sinner repents. Because repentance is about where you're headed. The Bible talks about this all the time. Repentance is about realizing that you're headed the wrong way and begin to rethink your thinking. So a few uh, years ago, my wife and I um, started doing this thing, uh, this diet called keto. It's not really a diet. It's just a way to look at, at, at food differently. And one of the biggest struggles for us is you learn the food pyramid and basically uh, the keto uh, concept is Take all the things that you've learned about the way you eat and basically throw them in the trash because we're going to rethink, you have to rethink all your thinking. Hey, you really like eating bread. You should eat bread a lot. Keto says, don't do that. You're like, okay, well, so how do I eat? Can I eat pasta? Like I do this with my mom all the time. She's like, can you eat pasta? No. Can you have Texas toast? That's bread, mom. Uh, Carbs are bad. We are not going to do carbs. Carbs are bad for keto. Um, And so what do you replace it with? Replace it with fat. Okay, I can get on board with that. My wife says, hey, do you want to do this diet with me? I said, no, that sounds like a bad idea. She's like, you can eat as much bacon you want. I said, you had me at bacon. I love you. And, uh, and so you begin to look at the world differently. You begin to see things and you're like, okay, I'm going to limit the amount of carbs and sugars that I'm going to take into my body and I'm going to increase the amount of fat, which is completely backwards in the world's uh, eyes, right? You, you don't eat a ton of fat because that clogs your arteries and that gives you, heart, gives you a heart attack. But in keto, you eat as much fat as you can possibly get your hands on. And I was like, babe, I don't think this is going to work, but I'm down, right? I'm down for eating bacon. Let's just make as much as possible. And so we'd make bacon and then we'd pour the grease into our eggs and we eat that. And we're like, this is, this is what heaven's going to be like, right? This is amazing. And then we started dropping weight like this. And like so much that I stopped even exercising. I'm like, man, this is, this is great. I'm losing weight. I'm not even exercising. And what we found was we had to completely rethink the way we looked at food. We, when we went out to eat, we had to completely rethink the way we ordered. We had to completely rethink the way we shopped. We had to completely restock our cabinets and restock our refrigerator because we had a different food pyramid now. And this is what repentance is. Is you thought, you've been told, you've understood the world to function this way. And you have to scrap all of that and trust that the way of the Lord is the right way. And the way of the Lord may tell you to leave the safety of the masses to go in open country into a dangerous area for the one. And because you've completely bought into what the Bible is teaching you, you don't question that anymore. You just go. 
Because repentance is about where you're headed, not what you've done. We all have people in our life who need to repent. And so my question for you is, who is your one? Who is that person in your life that God has placed around you for the purpose of you going after them because they need to repent. They need to rethink the way they look at the world around them. And then he goes on to tell us another story about a lost coin. And this lost coin uh, starts in verse 8, and he says this, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And one of the things that's interesting about the way Jesus tells this story is he doesn't just uh, follow what the world tells you to do because the world would never tell a story about a woman, right? The world that he lived in would never tell a story about a woman. It would very much never tell a story about a most likely single poor woman who lives in a house, a very small house with no windows and a crushed rock floor. And, he, and the concept of him telling a story about this lady who was poor, looking after one coin who was probably a significant amount of her life savings that was only worth a day's wage, shows us another thing about the kingdom of God. is that we are all equal in the kingdom of God. That we are all equal in the kingdom of God. Men and women are equal in the kingdom of God. There's no one better or worse. That, that rich and poor were equal in the kingdom of God. That the known and the unknown are equal in the kingdom of God. This matters because this is the way Jesus lived his life. He was constantly flipping the world's perspective. And sharing with the people around him that not only are these people valuable because they're created in the Imago Dei, but also they're equal. We're all equal. We often look at the people and we look at the outside of a person, but God looks at the inside of a person. We see people and we look at them and we assess their value. How can they help me? When God sees people, He looks at them. He knows they're valuable. He already knows they're valuable. So he tells these stories because you matter. And then he, he points out that this lady completely flips her house upside down, right? I said that she probably didn't have any windows and her floor was made of crushed rock. And so you can imagine that the lamp that she has is going to illuminate the darkness, but it probably doesn't do a great job. And so she is flipping over everything in order to find this coin because God is not casually looking for the lost. He's not saying, hey, you know what? I got a spare set of keys. We can just grab those and go. No big deal. I created a bunch of people. If that person walks away, no big deal. We have other Imago days. No, no, no. That's not how he looks at the world. He sees everyone and he knows they're valuable. He's not casually seeking after the lost. He's never, he never looks at these things and, and isn't concerned about finding them. He will tear the place apart until they're found. And one of the coolest things about when we join God in seeking after the lost is a byproduct 
of us seeking after the lost with him is that we begin to walk side by side with God. We begin to see the world the way God sees the world. A byproduct of us seeking after the lost is we become closer to Jesus as well. It's this glorious way that he set up the world around us. And so are you diligently seeking after your one? You have someone, God's placed a picture in your mind because I've been praying for him to do so for a while now. Are you just casually hoping that the conversation comes up about God? Or are you purposefully placing yourself in their life? Are you pursuing them? Are you flipping over every option, every opportunity so that you can have conversations with them and so that you can show them what the gospel looks like? Because God's not casually seeking after the lost and we shouldn't casually join Him in seeking after the lost. We do this with a fire. And then the last story He tells us is about a lost son. I think this is the story that so many of us are so familiar with, the prodigal that leaves home, a young man who tells his father that he wishes he was dead and wants his inheritance. Give his inheritance to me and he squanders it with living recklessly. And then we see um, that he's hit the bottom of the pit, that the thing that he would most, that would most disgust him in the world as a Jewish boy, pigs. He is now desiring the things in which the pigs would never touch. The scraps of their food is what he wants to eat, where a few years ago, as a Jewish boy, he would never even touch a pig. He'd spiraled out of control. He's had compromise after compromise after compromise to the point where he is desiring that which used to disgust him. And then we pick up the story in verse 20, and it says this, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead. And it's alive again. He was lost and it's found. And they begin to celebrate. They begin to celebrate. What we need to see from this story is this. There is no sin so great. There is no place too far. There is no heart too hardened for the overwhelming grace of our God that people might try to run away from Him. But God's grace is enough to cover all of our iniquity. There is no place, there is no sin too great, no place too far, no heart too hard for the overwhelming grace of God. They may find themselves so deep in the hole of compromise that they desire that which used to disgust them, but God's grace is enough. They, they, they may find themselves at the bottom with no one left around them to talk to, to be for them, but God's grace is enough. It is there for them when they're by themselves and alone. They may be trying to fix themselves over and over and over, but God's grace is enough. 
God is not worried about the past the same way you are. He just wants you to come home. He just wants you to come home and he wants to celebrate you. And when the one comes home, God does not ask where you've been. He celebrates where you are. A couple months ago, we had a celebration in Houston, didn't we? This baseball team down the road won a championship. And millions of people joined them in celebrating the triumph of their victory. But you know, the year before that, another team won. And if you follow baseball, maybe you cared a little bit. Maybe you cared uh, enough to watch it on TV for a couple minutes. But watching a celebration on TV for a couple minutes, it doesn't hold the same amount of excitement as being a part of a championship for the team that you've been rooting for. Because we looked at the Astros, and they came around and started, uh, they've embraced what, what Harvey did to us, and they, they unified our city. And we, we found our struggles that we were having. We could, we could uh, escape those struggle, struggles by cheering on our team. And they begin to win, and they begin to win, and begin to win. And, they, and they, they won everything, and we celebrated with them this triumph. Because when you're a part of the journey... When you're a part of the pursuit, when you're a part of the team that comes out victorious, the celebration is that much greater than just watching it on TV. And God is asking you to come and be a part of the journey. He's asking you to come and be a part of pursuing those around us. He's placed someone in your life for you to accompany him in pursuing them. And then you get to be a part of this parade. You're not watching it on TV when the loss becomes found. You're not, you're not uh, reading about it in the paper when they're celebrating something. You are front and center. You skip work. You skip school. You do what whatever you need to do so that you can be a part of that time of celebration. And the party that we had in Houston a few months ago doesn't hold a candle to the party that we have in heaven when one person, just one person. The Bible doesn't say when a bunch of people get saved, the, the, the kingdom celebrates. One person because you're valuable and we're equal He didn't say a rich person or a person of influence. When one person comes to know the Lord, the kingdom celebrates. And when you get to be a part of that pursuit, when you follow along with God in pursuing that person, the celebration is that much greater because you actually get to join in with heaven and celebrate One of my favorite things that we do as a church is we, we don't say only pastors can baptize. A couple, a, couple months, a couple weeks ago, we saw a husband baptize his wife. We've seen dads baptize their kids. Why? Because y'all are part of the pursuit. You're running after the one. And you're cheering with heaven when the one is found. 
You're, you're running and embracing your child, your friend, the person that you've been praying for, that you've been pursuing. You're grabbing them and you're jumping in joy because that's what heaven does because you know that, the, that eternity was impacted because of your faithfulness and pursuing the one alongside Jesus. And so my question for you today is this. Are you someone's one? Has God been pursuing you? Have you been trying to avoid God? Have you been trying to run away from God? Have you been trying to fix yourself and you just need to come home? Maybe that's you today. You've tried to do everything in your own power and all you've done is find more and more compromise. God doesn't, he's not worried about where you've been. He just wants you to come home. If that's where you are today, I'm going to be in the back here in a few minutes. I'd love to talk to you about what it looks like for you to come home. I'd love to celebrate with the kingdom about you coming home. And then every single person in this room, God has placed a picture in your head of a person. You're one. The person that God has put in your life so that you can pursue them for the purpose of celebrating the kingdom. And so my question to you is, who is your one? Don't avoid this. Don't say, oh yeah, I have a lot of people. No, no, no. Don't say a lot of people. I just want you to come up with one person. One person. One. Who is that person? Picture them in your mind. Say their name to yourself. Who is your person? And, and my next question is, how are you going to purposefully pursue them? Don't just say, okay, I have a person and hopefully I'll casually run into them. How are you purposefully pursuing them for the purpose of celebrating them coming to know the Lord, celebrating them along with the kingdom of God? And then I'm going to take it one more step further. I want, I want you to come up with a, a strategy and some of it's going to take a long time. Some of it's going to be uh, literally just saying hi for the first time or, or, or taking them out to lunch. And some of it's going to be maybe opening up your mouth and maybe telling a spiritual story to them. And maybe some of it's going to be sharing the gospel or inviting them to church. There's lots of different places that all of us are with our one. But I want us to, the next time we talk to them, to expect a celebration to be coming. That excitement that we had when we watched the Astros that caught that ground ball at the very end through the first base to win the championship, there is this anticipation. There is this expectation. Everyone was on the edge of their seats or standing up ready to explode in celebration. What if, what if we lived our lives expecting, anticipating God to do amazing things and to, and to soften hard hearts and to bring people that have compromised after compromise after compromise back to him? What if we walked around expecting our one, anticipating our one to come to know him? We would interact with them way differently than we would if there was no expectation. And so what if we did that too? I'm going to pray for us. And, I'm, and I hope that there's an image in your mind that is just burning. And I want us to do something about it. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, I love you so much. 
And I'm grateful that, uh, that you love us. And you love me even though I'm selfish. And you love me even though I'm arrogant. And I can think I can do it by myself. You place someone on my heart. You place someone on each and every one of the hearts in this room. And I pray that we do something about it. That we pursue this person recklessly. With no worry about the world's take on what we're doing. That we will be willing to leave the safety of the masses and pursue them. Because we love you. We know that eternity matters. Let us be different because of this pursuit. If there's anyone in this room that needs to come home today, give them the courage to step out of their chair. Come to the back. Start that conversation. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.